Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the CAV Sports Podcast. It's your host, with the most, Chris. Hope everyone's having an exciting day, having a good day, enjoying the summer. I know summer's right around the corner for everybody. If you're in college, at least for me personally, college, I'm officially done with classes for the spring, so I do have classes in summer, but we get there when we get there. Definitely enjoying the warmer weather up here. And for anybody else out there that's finished with classes, congratulations. If you're still working on classes, don't worry. You will get through it. I promise you're almost there to the finish line. So make sure you guys just keep grinding it out and keep positive energy and keep being, you know, keep having those positive vibes for yourselves. So before we get started with the episode, I just wanted to hint a little something coming to the podcast. It may be someone new, some a new partner, a sponsor. I won't spoil too much on what's going to happen or what is going on, but I just wanted to give you guys a little hint that that is coming to the podcast, and I'm very excited to bring them on and work with them, and they're definitely excited as well. So make sure you guys follow me on social media at Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, anything like that at CAV Sports or CAV Sports Podcast, because I will be announcing what is going on with that, but just to kind of give you guys a little bit of hint of what's going on. So to start off the podcast, the Dallas Stars have tied the series with the Kraken 2-2 two two after last night's win 6-3. and It was definitely something the Stars needed. They needed to rebound from the game they had a few days ago. They lost 7-2 to, to the Kraken. And that kind of had me not really worried, but a little bit like cons- more concerned about what may happen just because of the fact that the Stars... At least from when they played in the last year against the Wild, I've never seen them lose at least that bad. So it was a little concerning seeing that Seattle came out guns blazing in the 7-2 win, which gave them the lead 2-1. But with the Stars coming back yesterday, winning 6-3 against the Kraken in Seattle, definitely just gave me a refresher, gave me a deep breath of relief and said, we're okay, take it one game at a time. No need to press the panic button. We're going back to Dallas. That's very exciting. So... Go Stars, go. I'm very excited. Hopefully they can finish it in six. I believe they can. Hopefully they don't have to go to seven, but go to seven. They go back to Dallas, so at least we get to finish it at home. So, you know, rooting for the Stars, and, you know, everything goes well for them. We're making the push to the Stanley Cup, and we just need to get through the Kraken. And definitely just building that momentum and taking it away from the Kraken is one thing you definitely want if you're a team, especially since they just lost really bad. All the momentum shifted to Seattle after they pulled out that 7-2 win a few days ago. But now Dallas coming in, winning 6-3 and saying, you know what? We don't care that you won 7-2. It was just one game. We're going to come back and do it to you guys. So 6-3. And now I believe they have momentum back on their side, going back to Dallas. Definitely a great time to do it. So let's go, Stars. Let's continue that momentum. Let's get another win and let's finish this series out. Alrighty, so first topic of the day, NBA playoffs are still in full swing. So now I'm going to cover two basketball games that kind of caught my eye, and we're going to go from there. So first up, the first game, the Nuggets beat the Suns 118-102, to and now they have a 3-2 to lead over the Suns in the series. So we're, let's kind of break down this game a little bit. I'm going to go to the Nuggets side first. First of all, Jokic doing... Jokic teams 24, 13, and 12, he was killing it. I mean, he kind of has his way against that defense, and you could definitely tell. I mean, have you ever just seen, like, Jokic play? He looks like a point guard at the size of a center. 
just the footwork he has and kind of the great shot he can do and he can make space. Just a big guy. I mean, he he's born not I wouldn't say he's unstoppable, but he's definitely up there with being very hard to defend. And I think the Suns are realizing that without CP3, who's kind of a good uh, defensive anchor. Now, I wouldn't put him with Jokic, but he does kind of help at least a little bit. But I mean, the Nuggets are just they're riding with Jokic and Murray and hoping for the best and Jokic is just delivering game after game after game and this one definitely helped you know kind of pull them in and get the win however let's move on to the suns because we could talk about Jokic being great any day of the week let's go to the suns here's what's hurting the suns kevin durant just hasn't been efficient since the 11 and 19 for shooting game he has not been that efficient he had 26 points sure but he was 10 for 24 and he was 0 for 3 0 for 3 from the three-point line. He's not shooting good, which is definitely not what you want if you're a Suns fan, especially acquiring him from the Brooklyn Nets to hopefully win a championship this year, pairing him great with, with Devin Booker. It's just not enough. Like He hasn't been efficient enough to get the Suns, at least in a, a comfortable position, to where they can win games. The most recent game they won, they only won by a couple points. I have it uh, right here. They only won by five in the last game against uh, the last game that they won against the Nuggets, which was I believe on Sunday, I believe. So, like the they need a little bit more from him and Booker. I'm gonna get to Booker in a second, but Kevin Durant just not shooting well is first of all kind of interesting on everybody's end, but it's also like that is not something we're used to seeing from Kevin Durant. He'll have a bad game every now and then. He'll still get you 30-something points, but below 30, 26, and shooting less than 50 is not not very ideal for Kevin Durant, especially since that's what the Suns are investing with Kevin Durant and trying to at least win the championship this year. But they got to go through the Nuggets, and the Nuggets are probably going to be the team to beat in the West. And it's just it's very competitive, especially since the Nuggets are not making it easy on the Suns. So going from there, let's shift on over to Devin Booker, who had 28 points, but he was 8 for 19. That's not good from your top two scorers going into playoffs. This is something that maybe like the regular season, fatigue, tired. That's not what you want in playoff time. Playoff time is when you need it. And this is what I have for the Suns if they're going to try to beat the Nuggets and maybe win the series. There's got to at least be 70 points between Booker and KD. Like there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. They just have to. Like, there's no other way they can do this without, you know, citing that something crazy happens to the Nuggets, like an injury or something, which, God forbid, nothing happens to anybody. But you guys get my point. It's probably, barring an injury happening to Jokic or Murray or whatever, it's probably the only way they're going to try to win back this series is if they, if Booker and KD can at least get about 70 points together. Because even with the, even when they won against the Nuggets a while back, they only won by five, and that's with both of them going off, having 64 points. This is not good. That is some, They had over 60 points together, but they still only won by five, and I believe the game before then, the first game they won, they only won by seven, and that's with KD and Devin Booker going, having a great game. So I think that's going to be the biggest thing the Suns need, is they need both of their top scorers to score over 60 points, because if they don't, they're out. Like, I'm sorry. Like, KD is great. I'm a big fan of KD. Devin Booker, I believe, is really good, too. But without both of them, the Nuggets are running all over that, running all over the Suns team. Like, it's just plain and simple. We've seen it because they don't really have an answer for Jokic. Jamal Murray can get you points when he absolutely, when he does, he gets you points. He'll get you 30. He can get you 30, 40 points. 
you know, so can Devin Booker and so can Kevin Durant. However, Jokic is, is standing out to be the difference maker in that series because when Jokic goes off and everyone else is clicking, no one can stop the Nuggets. And the Suns are definitely evident of that. So they need to at least either get KD and Booker to get over at least over 60 points, maybe to 70 together to possibly pull out a win or, like I said, something drastic or something crazy must happen. Because I don't really see them having any other way to beat them. I just don't. And with CP3 not being there, I think it's a little a little bit hurting them. But I also think that even... Because I believe in the last game, uh, CP3 wasn't there. And they won. So there is a way they can do it without CP3. But they need their two top scorers to be more efficient. You can't have these types of games where you're scoring a little below 30 and try to win the game. That's not how that's going to work against the Nuggets. You need to be on top of your game throughout the series. I understand that it, it does get tiring, but that's kind of the but you're kind of the main person for that. That's why everybody likes KD so much. Whenever he came back from injury, not everyone was worried because he could still get you 30 points. It may not be pretty sometimes, but he'll get you 30. But if he can't get 30 against the Nuggets, they're going to have an issue. And if Devin Booker can't get over 30 Against the Nuggets, they're definitely going to have an issue because without both of them and only one of them tries to get the points, it, it's not going to work. That's just we're not in that game where one person can go off and have 40 and they'll still win the game because that's not true. We can't have that anymore, especially when you have someone like Jokic who can rebound and can get set up people for them to get a shot and he can get assists. You can't do it. You just can't. The game's way too different to even try that. So with that in mind, for the Suns game plan. KD and Booker's got to get more than 70 combined to possibly have a chance to come back in the series. Because they don't, they're not going to get it. And the Nuggets just got to keep doing their thing. Jokic just having big games. Jamal Murray stepping up and having big games as well. Uh, maybe Aaron Gordon too. I think Aaron Gordon, if he has if he has about 20, uh, 20 with him, 20 with Murray, and like 30 or 40 with Jokic, they're going to win this series. Hands down. No problem. The next NBA playoff basketball game on my sites, the kind of the one everyone's kind of watching and keeping an eye on, are the Lakers and the Warriors. The Lakers are up three to one on the Warriors, and I'm I'm really shocked on how this series has gone. I really am because I did not expect the series to go like this. I thought this would be either closer or it'd be reversed. I thought the Warriors would either be up three one on the Lakers. Or it'll be too like they're they're tied and they're it's gonna be a strong, kind of a strong, uh, kind of a tense and strong game going together. But it's not. The Lakers are up three to one on the Warriors. They won the other night, well, one hundred four to one hundred one. It's it's and that game was not pretty for anybody. I will have to be honest here. I think the only one really that I saw that was pretty efficient was probably Anthony Davis, which is not really not saying a lot, but with him, you know, he just hurts his pinky and he's out for a game you know what i mean it's kind of something that's very that's very interesting and i guess an anomaly in my opinion so let's start with the warriors the so curry had 31 points and he had 14 rebounds and 10 assists or i'm sorry he had 14 assists 10 rebounds he had a triple double but he shot 12 for 30 that is less than 50 just everyone on that warriors team could not buy a bucket to save their lives it was so out of hand where i just saw so many missed shots from the warriors some of them that should have made i saw curry miss layups that he usually makes i thought that was some of the craziest stuff i've ever seen at least in at least from that team who is very efficient in shooting and a team that can definitely at least get the ball in 
I know they kind of they had a good a little good method going on, you know, bringing up Anthony Davis for the pick and roll, and they just have someone in the paint wide open, and that was working. And then they went away from it, and it kind of just went from there. But the shooting, man, the shooting and the inefficiency from the team was not good. Clay was three for eleven. Wiggins was six for fourteen. I believe Clay had he had about eight points. Wiggins had seventeen. And Jordan Poole didn't get any points, and he was uh, he only had 10 minutes of playing off the bench. Barring that, Clay can't have only 8 points. It's the same predicament that KD and Booker had, is that you can't just have Curry making all the points and everyone else kind of takes a step back and says, you know what, let Curry cook. Let Curry cook, sure, but when you're in playoff time, everyone needs to be in the kitchen cooking. You know what I mean? Like, you can't have just Curry dropping uh, 30, 40 points, and everyone else, the closest one is 17. You can't do that. And we saw it whenever Clay went off, and he had about, I believe he had 30 points, and and Curry didn't have uh, 30. We saw how good they are and how wide they can blow, how wide they can blow this game out of proportion. We've seen it happen. We've seen Clay get those Steph Curry kind of games. We've seen Steph Curry shoot more efficiently than less than 50% from the field. We've seen it. Why it didn't happen in this game, I have no idea. And I think, honestly, the the only reason why they, the game was so close is because the Lakers were having similar issues. It wasn't it wasn't that pretty. Like, LeBron only had 27, for, and he was 10 for 25. Wasn't great. But we'll get to the Lakers in a minute. But having that inefficiency from a pretty good shooting team is not what you need in the playoffs right now, especially if you're trying to get back into the game. You know, I understand being in L.A. and all that, but you you're you're higher you're a higher seed. You have Steph Curry and Clay Wiggins, Jordan Poole, who everyone believes is going to be the next great player. Whatever you have, great players that don't normally have these situations where they just they're just not producing, or not producing, but they're not shooting at a high percentage that they usually do. And the way that they do it is that way is the reason why they were so high up in the playoff rankings. There's a reason why they they were they have home court advantage right now over the Lakers, but the Lakers are finding a way to stump them. We saw it in we saw it in the first game. Their defense their defense was absolutely phenomenal, and now with this last game, their defense helped out, but it didn't help that Curry and the team couldn't buy a bucket. It's just that's just what happened. No one could buy a bucket in that Warriors team. And the Lakers did enough on defense to make sure that they don't catch up. Now let's move to the Lakers. Anthony Davis had 23 points and 15 rebounds. So, and then LeBron James had 27, like I said, earlier for 10 for 25. He used 2 for 9 from the three-point line. Come, both combined were 50 points, which is more than mo- probably, yeah, I'd probably say more than the starting lineup for the Warriors. Austin Reeves, AR-15, 21 points, 7 for 15. Here's one of the bigger helps, Lonnie Walker, former Spur. He helped out off the bench with 15, partnering it with Dennis Schroeder, who had 10, and Lonnie Walker was 6 for 9 on the field. Just him coming in off the bench and helping out, you know, keeping them ahead in the game was a help for the Lakers. I know whenever uh, he left Spurs, uh, you know, Spurs fans were, like, very devastated that he left. I thought he was actually pretty good with the Spurs. But now coming in for L.A., this was his moment to shine. Coming in, dropping 15 off the bench, making sure that they solidify a win was just helpful. 
Whenever you're in, I believe in the NBA, you can have the star five, starting five all stars, but you need you're gonna need a bench. You need depth to help you out because you can't always rely on your starting five to possibly get you combined fifty because it doesn't always happen. In this situation, it did. Davis and uh, LeBron combining for fifty, and then and then Lonnie Walker coming in. But we saw what also happened. The Lakers weren't shooting as well, you know, as well compared to the Warriors because I believe. Put together, they shot less, uh, lower percentage than the Warriors. But their defense and Lonnie Walker coming in to help off the bench was definitely the difference maker in this game. And this is kind of the ultimate deciding factor of how this basketball game went. And that's where the problem is lying for the Warriors is that when the when the Lakers are hot on defense, they just can't they can't do anything. Or whenever they shoot this poorly, but. The Lakers are playing at least decent enough defense. Like I said, Anthony Davis had 15 rebounds. We're seeing that they can be the Lakers can be successful with top defense and be able to knock to beat a team like the Warriors, who is great off offense. And that's the Lake, and that's what the Lakers are going to continue to do. So if I was the Warriors, I'd try to find a way to beat their defense, like right now, because. You know, them playing at least decent defense and you and you know, you're having a night that it's not your night. No but no no the basketball's not falling in the bucket as usual. You know, Curry's not having a super he's had a great game, but he shot a really bad percentage. Jordan Poole didn't get you any points. Clay's not doing well. Wiggins is doing okay. When when you have those types of days, you're gonna need to find a way to beat beat a defense as uh, another team that's not doing as well as you. But the Lakers' defense are, is just showing up when they need to be. Anthony Davis with 15 rebounds, like I said, he he's just he's just doing well this series, and it's def, you can definitely tell the difference because when Anthony Davis comes in and he plays like this, plays well, gets a pretty good amount of rebounds, plays some defense, they they can compete. They really can, and I've seen it uh, throughout the series. Is that this team, the Lakers, can't compete with the Warriors, but for the Warriors. It seems that whenever they don't have a good a good game or when the Lakers are just playing great defense, they, they're no match. And that's kind of what's like not really frustrating, but that's what's really, you know, separating these two teams. And that's why the Lakers are up three to one. Uh, I do believe they play to they play tonight. So who do I have winning the series? I think the Lakers are going to win it in six. I don't I don't really see the I don't see the Warriors losing at home. I don't, because at home they're probably one of the best teams. They have a great home court. The fans go crazy, and I know the I know when the Warriors lose or get embarrassed like that, they it doesn't happen twice. We saw it in the beginning of the series when the Lakers beat them at home. Guess what? They came back the next week and beat them really bad. So, so don't count them out yet. I don't I don't think they're gonna lose at home. I don't think they're gonna lose the series at home because they will be back. They are very strong at home, like I said. But I think the Lakers are going to win it in six. I think the Lakers are going to win it back in L.A. I don't see them winning it in Golden State. Just because how strong they are you know, at home compared to, when, uh, compared to how strong they are on the road. But I, I, see them, I see the Lakers possibly winning it in six. If they can keep up this momentum, keep sticking with Darvin Ham's um, scheme of just playing strong defense and you know, just forcing them to make either terrible – throw up terrible shots to either – that bad shooting percentage, whatever, get rebounds, take some charges. Oh my god, I've seen the like LeBron, Austin Reeves, I've seen Lakers players take charges, which you don't really see in the NBA nowadays. You see that more 
in college basketball, and that's starting to come into the NBA, which is great because it's just you force a turnover. I mean, it helps because you you know you get the ball back, and it stops the clock when you absolutely need it, and you know it just it's just a helpful it's a helpful play. And now that I'm seeing it in the NBA coming up now, especially against a good team like this, it just it warms my heart because that that's great. And I'm glad that they're they're they are bringing that kind of mentality and defense to the Lakers to help them beat these basically these really good offensive teams that they're going to have to go up against in the West. Alrighty, next topic for Hey everybody, I just want to take a real quick pause from the podcast to introduce our first sponsor, One Guy from Italy on University. One Guy from Italy on University is a local Lubbock restaurant located right next to Texas Tech University. They have some of the best food in town. I know personally, I go order. The house calzone is my favorite. And also, they have been voted to have the best calzones in Texas. So if you're ever in Lubbock, Texas, make sure you guys stop by One Guy from Italy on University. And thank you guys for being our first sponsor of the podcast. Now, let's get back to the episode. For today, this past weekend, I did see... I did end up watching the Canelo versus John Ryder fight, and I'm happy to say Canelo Alvarez won by unanimous decision. Congratulations, Canelo. The pound-for-pound king is back. Now, to go on to what I saw in the fight, I think Canelo in the first half of the fight was strong. He showed how different he is. You know, he's on a whole different level compared to what John Ryder was at. I do believe so. I think that Canelo showed showed what he can do still. However, in the later rounds, it didn't it was a little it was a little lackluster in my opinion. In my opinion, how the fight went, first six or seven I give Canelo. I'd say nine to twelve was John Ryder. John Ryder was coming back in the fight. Towards late, uh, towards the late rounds, you can I could just tell in Canelo he was fatigued, he was tired. He did knock down Ryder, I believe he, if I remember correctly, he he knocked him down twice. So he had the points already, and he almost knocked out Ryder a couple times. I saw it. You can see Ryder was about to get knocked down and be knocked out, but he didn't finish. He wasn't finishing. He wasn't finishing it. And that's what I feel was the concern, and I think that's where everything went wrong. Because he didn't put, he didn't finish John Ryder. He didn't knock him out. That led to him to Ryder being able to come back in the fight. Now, obviously, when you're down by so many points, there's only two things you can do: try to score a knockdown on your opponent when you're down when you're behind in points. Try to knock down your opponent or get the knockout. That's gonna be the only two ways you're gonna win. Because other than that, you're probably not gonna come back and win this fight. And that was pretty evident after those uh, the scorecards, because it was. By far out of the water, it was Canelo. But as the rounds kept going, and later into the fight, John Ryder was taking it to Canelo. There were times where I saw Canelo kind of stumble back. Whenever he got hit, he I kind of saw him kind of stumbling a little bit. And what do I have to say that probably is? I I want to say maybe because he hasn't fought in a year. Uh, because after he fought Gennady Golovkin, he did have to get surgery in his left hand, I believe. And, you know, he's been out of boxing. It's been a year. You know, he's been golfing, relaxing with his wife and his beautiful family. And being away from boxing, obviously, for a while, you're going to be a little rusty. I think that's all it was. I think he was very rusty in his fight. But, I mean, age is, age is always undefeated. Maybe his age is kind of showing a little bit. He has been fighting since he's, he was professionally since he was 15 years old. Maybe the body's starting to catch up to him. 
you know, the surgery was definitely a telltale sign. But I know he wants to continue. He wants to grow his legacy. But hopefully he can take some more fights before going any further. Just because he had, you know, he kind of have to. You can't just be away from the sport and come back and, you know, expect to still be the same. It happens to, you know, it happens. We've seen it. We've seen it happen to the sports. Cam Newton's a great example. He was out for a while. He came back. He wasn't that great. Deshaun Watson, whenever he finally started for the Cleveland Browns, he wasn't that good. Whether you want to believe it or not, do I think he's a, he can be a good quarterback? Of course. We saw what happened in Houston. But what happens when you don't play football for two years? You get rusty. Your timing's off. You can practice all you want, but when you get in the game, it's a different. It's a whole different. It's a whole different kind of banana here, and it's the same thing with boxing. When you're out of the ring, you haven't fought in a while. It's gonna take some time to get back into it, especially with him going up against middleweight, uh, super middleweight, uh, super middleweight fighters who probably been fighting for a while and has a couple fights under him. They're gonna they're gonna dig deep and try to beat Canelo. Especially since everyone wants to beat Canelo Alvarez. Everyone wants to be the person that beat him because only two people have beat Canelo, which is Dimitri Bilvov and Floyd Mayweather. So everyone wants to be the person that tries to beat Canelo Alvarez. And I think that is an evident sign that probably Canelo needs to, if he wants to continue growing his legacy, he's got he's to fight a little bit more. Can't just fight and then take a whole year off and then try to come back and be at the exact same level that you were at. I feel like that's what I said in the last episode, is that this fight is to kind of help him bring him back into the boxing world, get the rust off, you know, see how that left hand is going. I believe he said it, it's fine, everything is going good, and, you know, in the press conference, not really the press conference, but the aftermath of the fight, they asked him, was John Ryder a really tough opponent? He said, yeah, every time I knocked him down, he'd get back up and keep swinging, which is true. John, I gotta give John Ryder credit. Every time he got knocked down, he didn't give up. Every time he, you know, even, even the first knock, uh, knockdown, he almost fell out of the ring. But he kept getting back up and kept taking it to Canelo. And guess what? He could have won the fight, barring if he didn't get knocked down twice. Because if he didn't get knocked down, I could have saw the fight go either way. Because of how John Ryder came back towards the later rounds, and he almost, he looked like he was about to knock down Canelo Alvarez. So, with that in mind... You know, maybe this is an eye-opener for Canelo to say, you know what, maybe I need another fight before I go try to fight, you know, before I try to go challenge Bevel. I know he wants to fight him again because he's that kind of man that says, I don't take that. I want to fight Bevel. I want to get my rematch. I want to guarantee this fight to happen. They're going to try to make it work. I'm sure they can make it work. I don't know if they're going to do it at light heavyweight. He said he'll move back up to the weight or if Bevel will have to drop to middleweight. So that's going to be the deciding factor on that fight, or if it's going to be Benavenides. I think he should fight Benavenides just because I believe it's in the same weight class, and it's just more to kind of kind of be able to get his arms and legs moving. But realistically, if that same Canelo fought uh, Bill Wolf right now, I don't, I don't think he'll win again. I'm sorry. I think he does need a couple more fights to get back into that groove of boxing and then fight Bivol. Like I said, that's why I want him to probably stay with uh, Benavidez, you know, to kind of stay at the same weight, defend the title, or get another one, whatever, and then probably move up. Because I would, ideally, if he wants, like, another big fight, Benavidez would be a good one, and then maybe fight someone in the light heavyweight division, give him a paycheck, just to kind of get his feet wet again in the light heavyweight, get used to 175, and then fight Dimitri. Or if, like I said, if Dimitri wants to move down to super middleweight and try to beat him there, because I know he's commented saying that 
I already beat him in light heavyweight. I will go down to, to middleweight. I'll go to his weight and beat him then, you know, to, I guess, prove that he's better than Canelo or whatever. But whatever the case may be, all side for, for Canelo Alvarez, I think uh, one or two more fights before he fights people. And maybe, and if he does want to fight a light heavyweight, fight someone that's maybe not as not as top tier as Dimitri, get him a paycheck, you know, get him on the card and get used to the weight before you just go jump in and try to fight Dimitri Bilovov. All right, next topic, the meat and potatoes for the podcast, the NFL. So let's get started. So this one, so this one was kind of news that broke out either, uh, it's, it's more recent news and I know it's kind of a big topic. It's a little bit of a touchy one, so I won't really stay super long on this topic, but Matt Ariza, former partner for the Buffalo Bills, it has been found that he was not present in the sexual allegations of a minor uh, at San Diego State. The court, uh, the court found that he was not present in all the evidence that was presented towards them, uh, the video stuff like that, uh, witness testimony that he was not there, and now the the San Diego court will not be pressing charges against uh, Matt. Ariza. Now, uh, kind of, I mean, it's it's a little bit of a like a touchy topic, like I said, so I won't say too long on it. I would just say, I mean, if the court, I mean, the courts and all that do their they do their thing. If they found nothing, then you know, there's not really much anyone else can really do or say. Whether you believe he did it or he didn't, the courts did not find enough sufficient evidence to to basically put him in jail or charge him for anything. So they have to drop the charges. I know that he's been saying that he was defending himself, saying that, hey, I wasn't there, whatever, whatever, and then the NFL kicked him out. Now, whatever the NFL decides to do is going to be up to Roger Goodell and the and the NFL organization. I don't know what they're going to do um, about this because if the courts found out that he had nothing to do with these allegations or with this incident that happened with the minor, I mean, they already, they already, uh, the Bills already cut him, and who knows if maybe a team wants to sign him with all that baggage behind him? Who knows? Because I don't know. But in any case, it's gonna it's gonna be interesting to see what's gonna happen. But I mean, like I said, I'm not gonna touch on it too much. I'm gonna try to move on. But Matariza, uh, the court has found him was found ha, the court had found him not present in um, in the location of the sexual allegations of a minor. Like I said, all the evidence that was proposed, um, witness testimony, all that they discovered that he probably wasn't there, and they're gonna drop the charges. So whatever happens from there, happens from there. Alrighty, so kind of an interesting one. Micah Parsons announced that he will be moving full time to defensive end. I, I'm not shocked, but I'm I'm not shocked, but I'm a little surprised just because uh, he did say I'm gonna bulk up and wait, get some more muscle, and go to defensive end from now on. Now compared to 2021, I believe he was a linebacker for 59% of the plays. This past year, he was only linebacker for 12. So he can go get the quarterback, and he's even said, I want to go get the quarterback. And, I mean, Dan Quinn has a great defensive system to let to let Micah feast. I mean, we've seen it. He's, you know, everyone's saying he's the next, uh, basically he's uh, Lawrence Taylor reincarnated. I mean, give him a couple more years before we can actually fully confirm that. But, I mean, he's been great. He, he just has. And I believe he was in the running for a defensive player of the year last year. I mean, he's he's basically the anchor of that Dallas Cowboys defense he's the you know the hype man he is the leader of that defense you name it that's Michael Parsons moving him to defensive end I think it'll help just because you know depth you know we have another defensive end 
and the fact that he's pretty fast. If you've ever seen him play or ever seen him go up against an offensive tackle, he is fast. He can get off the line. He has a wicked first step. He has great spin moves. He has incredible. He already has incredible strength as it is. I don't know if you guys remember, but there was a game where he straight up just shoved an offensive tackle into the ground trying to go get a quarterback. That man will go get a quarterback. So with him bulking up, getting ready to face off against all these offensive tackles, probably from now on being defensive end, you know, I think it's going to help, especially try to limit injury, especially if that's what Dan Quinn wants. And kind of now looking at it, since they announced he's going to be moving to defensive end from now for, you know, for the foreseeable future, the overgrown shot, the overshone uh, draft pick from the uh, this past year from the from Texas looks like a way better. It looks like it's going to be ideal because they can move him to replace Michael Parsons and then uh, Lewis Clark, uh, the LSU linebacker that we drafted a while back, and then the Wolf Hunter in the middle, move Micah to defensive end with Demarcus Lawrence, which is going to be a crazy defensive uh, defensive line scheme with Jonathan Haskins at nose tackle with Mozzie Smith, who is probably going to start either at D2 or D1 or DT1. Sorry about that. It's going to be an it's going to be a crazy front four. It just is. And then that's not even including that the Wolf Hunter can go get a quarterback too when they absolutely need to. So I'm very excited for this. I didn't. I wasn't sure when they were going to move him fully to defensive end. I knew that they wanted to put up a lot more packages of him going to get a quarterback. So hopefully this does work out very well for Dan Quinn and the defense. The only real concern I can see is that, number one, if he bulks up way too much, he's going to lose speed, which was the one factor he had over the offensive tackles. So that's a little bit of a concern, but I, I highly doubt it's going to be that big. Or they're going to double-team him all the time with a tight end or running back's going to chip him every time he comes off the line. Who knows? But I mean, if you get double teamed or you need a running back to chip him every time, I mean, you're doing something right as a defensive player. I mean, just hands down. And plus it takes a little bit of weight off of Demarcus Lawrence to go get the quarterback. Cause he's a great defensive end in his own right. And like I said, it adds depth for Sam, for, old, for the young player from Ole Miss. And then whoever else they want to bring, uh, whoever else is going to be on that defensive end or defensive line just adds a lot of depth. Maybe they can get a rotation going because there were times where I saw Micah just dying of, you know, just fatiguing games. There were times where he was just exhausted from always uh, always trying to get the quarterback and not really having a break. I feel like that's also another reason why they moved him there, to try to, you know, rotate him, get him a breather, and then go get the quarterback again. So that's great for them. Alrighty, next. Hey everyone, I just want to take a quick break from the podcast to introduce our next sponsor, Goldmine Collectibles. Goldmine Collectibles is a local Lubbock store located right off of 50th Street and University. Goldmine Collectibles sells a variety of things such as Funko Pops, wrestling figures, Pokemon cards, comic books, and more. As an example that I bought from Goldmine Collectibles is this awesome Cody Rhodes Double or Nothing Championship figure that they had in the store. And if you guys see the Funko Pops that I have right behind me, some of them are actually from Goldmine Collectibles. Ever in the market for Funko Pops, comic books, Pokemon cards, wrestling figures, and more. Make sure you guys head on over to Goldmine Collectibles. Thank you guys for sponsoring today's video. And now, back to the episode. The, some of the games for this season have been released. The big one that I have here, because I have, I have a really big opinion about this. So, Philadelphia and the Giants are going to go one-on-one -on, -one on Christmas day am i excited for this game i'm excited for jalen hurts to probably get another win i'm excited for jalen hurts to if he's having not that good of a season this game's gonna help him bounce back i'm excited to see that 
I'm excited to see them beat the Giants. I'm not really, ex- I'm not really excited for the Giants uh, necessarily because I, like I said, I'm not a big believer in Daniel Jones. I just, I don't see Daniel Jones repeating what the year he had last year. And I know that's the big thing going into this year is that was last year a fluke or is this going to be a consistent pattern? I don't think it is. Whether it be a fluke or not, I don't. I just don't think it's going to be another great year for Daniel Jones. Just because of one name that they may or may not have going into the season, and that's Saquon Barkley. Saquon Barkley, like I've always stated, is the heart and soul of that offense. You take away Saquon, that offense can't move. That offense is not that good. Don't get me wrong. Can Daniel Jones throw the ball? Sure. Is he athletic? Yeah, we've seen him run. We've seen how fast he is. But would I trust him to lead the offense for a game-winning thing, a game-winning drive without Saquon? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't trust Daniel Jones to go do it. And I've even said it before. Whenever this got announced, I don't think Sa- I don't think Daniel Jones should have gone the contract, a contract extension. Saquon Barkley should have. I know the stigma in this year's uh, NFL is don't try to keep running backs long term because you don't know how long they're going to last. We've seen it before and before. But I think Saquon has just that big of a difference maker in that offense that they should have gave him at least some sort of contract or some sort of extension over Daniel Jones. Yeah, is the quarterback the most important position on that team? Sure. Yeah, you're right. I will give you that. But when your top offensive player is the person without a contract and the quarterback that has been struggling up until last year gets a contract for him, I don't – I mean, to me, I don't, I don't understand. I really don't. Here's why. Daniel Jones, without Saquon Barkley, is 8-10 in his career. With Saquon, he's 13-22-1. So he still doesn't have a winning record with Saquon, but he's won more games with Saquon Barkley. Now, with the addition of Darren Waller and Jalen Hyatt from Tennessee, uh, they drafted him this year. Yeah, that's going to help. But here's the thing, and I believe Shady, and this is what Shady McCoy touched on on um, their show, is that you run the ball, run the ball, guess what? Play action, Darren Waller is one-on-one with a linebacker, or he's one-on-one with a smaller safety. I agree. I totally agree. You want to know what the small problem is? If you don't have Saquon, how are you going to do a play action play? You don't have Saquon Barkley in the backfield running efficiently or at least not being held under 60, 70 yards. They're, the offense can't move. We've seen it this season. We have. The first one that comes to mind is the game against Dallas week two after Dak got hurt. They held Saquon to less than, I believe, less than 100 yards, and Daniel Jones didn't play good. He, it's, we've seen it before, the, uh, the game in Thanksgiving with Dak back. Yeah, Daniel Jones played a little better, but guess what? They held Saquon Barkley below 100 yards, and guess what? They did not win the game. They were not even close. I believe they, won, they lost by 8 points. Whatever. They, they couldn't do it without Saquon, and we've seen it. We saw it the, uh, two years ago when Saquon wasn't playing and he was hurt for the year or whatever, or he was injured for a certain amount of time. Guess what? That offense wasn't great. That offense couldn't move. This past year when he came back, that that Giants offense was different. You know, the head coach, he looked like a genius. Daniel Jones looked like he can actually play quarterback. Guess why? Because Saquon Barkley made that offense look good. Everyone says, well, he doesn't have a wide receiver to throw to. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't have this. He doesn't have that. Yeah, I'll give you that. He doesn't have a wide receiver, sure. 
But guess what? He was less efficient without receivers, without Saquon Barkley. He was not as good, you know, without Saquon. He was even worse. He was worse without him than he was with them. With Saquon helping and, you know, opening up the play action for him, guess what? Receivers were getting open. He was able to throw touchdowns. He was able to get it deep. He was able to pull, you know, do his QB keep and run downfield. Why was that? Because Saquon Barkley opened up those lanes for the New York Giants, at least for that offense, to be a little bit more successful than they were the year prior in 2021. Now, fast forward. It's going to be the same thing. If the Philadelphia Eagles, which I think they can, they take away Saquon Barkley, especially with the with the new defensive pieces that they brought in in Nolan Smith and Jalen Carter and shut down Saquon Barkley, guess what? Daniel Jones is not going to be that great. He just isn't. Darren Waller, yeah, he's going to help a little bit, and maybe Hyatt will because he just got drafted. Warren has proven himself to be a reliable tight end. we got to see what Jalen Hyatt could do. But Daniel Jones is still their quarterback. He's still, in my opinion, the third best quarterback in that division. Number three, because I would still pick Jalen. I'd for sure get Jalen Hurts over him. I would for sure get Dak Prescott over him. And, I mean, I don't know what the commanders were doing over there. I don't know who they're going to go with because they just got rid of they got rid of Taylor Heineke. All they have is Jacoby Brissett and Sam Howell. So, by default, he's better than both of them. Am I? Well, Jacoby Brissett has played a little bit. So, we'll, I mean, we'll have to see what happens with him. But you get my point here. He's still the only the best the third best in that whole division. I would still rather go with Dak Prescott than him. Keep in mind this, Dak Prescott, who everyone said had a worse season than Daniel Jones, got farther in the playoffs than Daniel Jones did. He got farther. He also had a better record than Daniel Jones did this past season, and he's threw more interceptions than Daniel Jones did. Why is that? Because I think Dak is a better thrower than Daniel Jones is. I think he's a more accurate thrower than Daniel Jones is. Jalen Hurts has been in the league a little bit less than uh, than Daniel Jones has, I believe. Guess what? He got to a Super Bowl already. Daniel Jones hasn't even been close to a Super Bowl. Jalen Hurts took the step he needed this year in a big way. The Giants, I mean, this is the first time he's had an actually good year. And that's my point. Because with Saquon coming in, he had a good year. If Saquon is not there, they will not have a good year. And all that time they drafted, they traded for Darren Waller and got Hyatt. It's going to be for nothing. And they probably just wasted a contract on Daniel Jones when they should have gave it to the rightful person who deserved it. I think way more than Daniel Jones has is Saquon. And that's what I think about that. Alrighty, so this is kind of a topic uh, that kind of came up in a show that I kind of wanted to touch on a little bit. So the question was, did the Cowboys close the gap with the draft that they had and the pieces that they brought in? I think they did. If you're asking, did they close the gap? Did they narrow the gap? I think they did. I honestly think they did. With Mozzie Smith coming in, who can help be a beast in the note uh, at defensive tackle, try to get in the trenches and stop that, that really, really messed up play, that double Reggie push uh, play that the Eagles love to run with Jalen Hurts. He can help there. Drafting linebackers to help. to help. Now Micah Parsons is moving to defensive end. They brought back their secondary. They, add on, they added on Gilly. 
They helped out on offense by bringing in Brandon Cooks. Tony Pollard is back. They brought in a couple running backs. I think this year with a bet, I think, first of all, I think Dak Prescott's going to be a lot better this uh, this upcoming year than he was last year. Don't, because last year was just not good. But I think he's going to be better. So with a better Dak Prescott, do I think that they closed the gap? I think they did. Because with if Dak Prescott can play better than this past year, they're going to be fine. I think that they're going to be okay. They will. Because we saw how good he can be when he's not throwing 15 interceptions. When he's throwing less, I think barring that year, I think he averaged about 10 to 11 interceptions a season when he came in. So barring last year, he actually didn't throw that many interceptions. Now, with Brandon Cooks coming in being a, actual, uh, being a good deep threat, CeeDee Lamb, a true number one, and Michael Gallup can move to receiver three, it's going to help. And I think that's going to at least, on offensive firepower, try come kind of compete against the Eagles because they, they're going to have to go up against A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. Now DeAndre Swift has come in, which I still would pick Tony Pollard over Swift any day of the week because Pollard actually got 1,000 yards rushing. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to be interesting how this matchup is going to go. But I do think the Cowboys got better on defense, and the reason why is because they're going to have to go up against Philly. Now, a factor here that I heard some people say is that, well, Cowboys lost Kellen Moore. You're right. We don't know what's going to happen with Mike McCarthy. But don't forget, the Eagles lost their offensive coordinator and their defensive coordinator. So who knows how that's going to look. The offense may look still the same because of Nick Sirianni. But who knows what that defense is going to look like. Even with all those draft picks that they got on defense to help replace Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham for the, uh, after they retire next year or whenever they're done, they got to figure out who's going to be their coordinator and how they're going to run that defense. Nick Sirianni can't do both. So with that in mind, that's going to be something that's going to be interesting to look at. But if you're asking like just direct, did they close the gap? I think they did. The Eagles are still going to be the team to beat in the NFC East. But I do think that the Cowboys at least have a chance to possibly win the division. They do. I don't think the Commanders are definitely going to become close. I definitely don't think the Giants are going to be the closest one. So it's going to be the Cowboys. I think the Cowboys have the closest chance of winning the division over the Eagles. Will it happen? I don't know. A lot of people are saying, no, Philadelphia is way too good. That offense that they run for Jalen Hurts is way too dominant. Sure, but we never know what can happen. You never no, for all we know, maybe Dak Prescott will have an MVP season. We just got to wait and see. But I think right now with the, with the people that they added, the draft that they had, I know it's not a lot of splash. People are giving them about a C, C plus. They drafted necessities. But you got to see who we got to go up against twice a year. It's going to be Philadelphia. And the other NFC teams that are probably looking to get stronger. We saw it with Seattle when they drafted uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba. I mean, I don't who knows what's gonna happen with the Rams. Like the 49ers still have Debo, Christian McCaffrey, they Brandon Ayuk, they still have good players. Like we we still have a tough NFC to go through without you know just without the Eagles. So I think them getting tools to help Dak Prescott, getting linebackers to help uh, to replace Micah, Micah can move to defensive end, getting another top corner to help. Diggs and then Javon, uh, no, sorry, Donovan Wilson and Curse coming back. I think it's going to be an interesting matchup. That's all I have to say. All right, final topic for the day. It was reported that Sam Darnold is the best thrower in the 49ers locker room. What? 
Now, I will give a pass on Brock because Brock had surgery on his shoulder. So that makes a little sense. But Trey Lance, dude, you've been there for three years. And reports are saying that Sam Darnold is better th- a better thrower than you are. That's a little concerning for Trey Lance. And I think that's the sign of the 49ers might trade away uh, Trey Lance. Just because that's not good. It just isn't. And going about it that route is going to be kind of interesting. Because I know that's why they brought in Sam Darnold. Because we saw what happened whenever they went up against Philadelphia. They ran out of QBs. They ran out of bodies. So guess what? They went to go grab another one to add to their quarterback room. Maybe a little competition for Trey Lance. Who knows? But now, with reports saying that he's the best thrower in their locker room right now, it's kind of a concern. Like I said, Brock Purdy just has surgery. I can get that his soldier might his soldier might be a little weird. Soldier. Shoulder. Sorry, I'm messing up pronunciations here. His shoulder might be a little wonky. Okay. We don't know how it's gonna well, how much it's gonna affect him. But Trey Lance, you've been there for year for a few for a couple years now. There should be no excuse that Sam Darnold barely coming in is out throwing you in in practice or OTA whatever they're doing right now, and they're saying that he's a better thrower. Like there there's no way. There there just isn't. So if that's going to be the case, then I feel like Trey Lance's time in San Francisco might be up. Because if you're being out outbeat by Sam Darnold... Now, I'm not trying to say like Sam Darnold's bad, because we saw what he did in Carolina. He actually did kind of decent. Whenever he came in for Baker, they, were, they still had a possible chance to win the division. But him coming into a new team and not even... Uh, barely getting a grasp on the concept? Not good. Not good for Trey Lance if he's going to be possibly third string. It just isn't looking good. But alrighty, everybody, that's going to wrap things up on this episode of the CAV Sports Podcast. Remember to follow me on all my social media at CAV Sports or CAV Sports Podcast. This episode will be up on Spotify and YouTube. So this upcoming Thursday, the NFL schedules will be released. And maybe I'll do something special for that. Maybe I'll go live again here on Facebook, maybe on my YouTube channel. So make sure you guys tune in. For that one to maybe see and get my reaction on what the schedule is looking like for the Dallas Cowboys and maybe the NFC East is that's kind of my bigger concern and maybe some other teams but until next time for the podcast I'll catch you guys in the next one